Hello and welcome to Totem Talks. I'm Helen Fruin. Hi, I'm Mark Smith. And today we are talking about setting up your own business. We are indeed. Uh, the idea that many of many of the people we speak to at the moment are considering a changing career, are coming out the back of lockdown and reflecting on what's important to me, what's been different about working from home all the time, and do I want to keep doing this or do I want to set up by myself? Uh, and so you know all about setting up a business. I do indeed. Um, I've done it before <laughs> and I'll do it again. Absolutely. Um, and I've advised many, many people on setting up yes, themselves. Yes, many, many people. Uh, I think today though, when we're talking about setting up a business, it's really, there's a very specific kind of area. So we are talking about consultancy type businesses. So people in our industry who are thinking about setting up independently. I'm definitely not going to be talking about the sort of contractor status, IR35 kind mm. of umbrella company area, because all of that has changed recently and that is still coming out in the wash. But this is specifically aimed at people who are thinking, shall I go self-employed? Shall I go limited company self-employed? Shall I be a contractor? I don't really know. And actually, what are the ins and outs of doing those two different things? And to um, give you a sense of where I'm hearing this from our clients, so you've got HR directors who've been HR directors for a long time mm -hmm. and now they're thinking, well, maybe I'd like to do it. One, the the money that you can get doing that as a, as a contractor or, um, like you say, not, not contractor because that gets into IR35, but to do that as my own company. So I'm running now HR services. Mm -hmm. I'm providing HR director level consultancy mm -hmm. to a company. Uh, similarly, people working in learning and development or talent management are saying, well, couldn't I offer that to companies as a service rather than just get stuck here in the politics and all of the day-to-day -day grind of being in the office? Absolutely. So the idea for the next three podcasts, in fact, so we're gonna make this a summer series. Yay to the summer. Yay to the we summer. We are barefoot podcasting we today. Bare, it is the summer. <laughs> that would be an awesome name for a podcast. <laughs> um, so yes, three-part series. So hopefully people are on holiday, enjoying themselves, maybe in the garden or even better by a pool somewhere. Maybe wondering about their future. Maybe wondering about their future. The labour market is in a complete mess at the moment. So we do think a lot of people are reassessing um, their future work lives. So we thought now would be an excellent time. Um so to get right into it, um, if you're going to start a company, you have to really think about, first thing, what do you think your turnover is going to be? That really dictates which way you go in this direction. So if That seems like a tough place to start. It's not, it's not that tough a place to start. So if you think about, if you're a HR director and you are really well networked and you've, you've been going to all the conferences and you start sounding out a few of your colleagues, maybe other other people within different companies and they say actually that would be really interesting if you went self-employed i've got this little contract and all of a sudden you you've, you realize you've got a network maybe of 100 150 grand's worth of work just off the bat because of your senior seniority you're going to start a limited company if you're literally just diving into this head first and you've got no idea who you're going to be speaking to how you're going to be doing marketing you're going to want to set up the self-employed. And that is really, really easy. That is a website, HMRC. You just register as self-employed. It's super simple to do. It, there is a bit of paperwork there, but it's not It's not too bad. Um, so what's that cutoff between deciding? You said 150 grand you'd go. Yeah, I guess, I guess um, as a rule of thumb, 
I mean, it's not always this, but as a rule of thumb, I would have said if your aspirations in your first year are below £50,000 as a turnover, go self-employed. Um, it's a lot easier to manage. You, you don't need to have an accountant. You don't need to have a bookkeeper. You will end up doing a lot of that work yourself. It's not too onerous. Um, the first time that you come to submit a self a, a tax self-assessment, you will be absolutely horrified. horrified. I was going to use scared. <laughs> And then all the words. Um, it, it's <laughs> it is not fun. <laughs> yeah, it is the I most mean, gosh, it's probably thing. 11, 12 years ago. I last did one, uh, yeah. and the pain is still Just with me. The horror and the, the fear oh. of getting it wrong. And I think for anyone doing a self self assessment for the first time, just get comfortable with the number zero, because you will enter that number a lot, and you'll think, "Is that right? I, I don't know. Is that right?" Oh my Surely gosh. I can't put zero. This too, many I times. can't put zero this too many times. But yes, you will put the number zero into your self assessment quite a lot. Um, and that's okay. Um, but £50,000 is about the cutoff as a turnover for you as a business. Um, and so if I was just setting up, is it helpful to say, well, why not start self-employed? And then if you see that actually, gosh, my turnover's fast approaching 50, mm. can I then change my mind and become a limited company? Absolutely, you can. Um, 50, once you get to 50, there are some advantages to going to, to a limited company you then become a director of the company and the way that you pay yourself is taxed differently. Um, and there are some tax advantages to being paid as a director of your own company versus being self-employed. Your, your tax rate drops. It's not as generous as it used to be. Thank you, Mr. Taxman. Um, <laughs> but it, it, there are still advantages um, after that. And then the next progressive slide is, you're now a limited company. You have to have an accountant that costs you about 400 pounds a year um, ish you also really you could do with a bookkeeper or unless you quite organize yourself and you can stay on top of that um, that's well worth it as well unfortunately now as a limited company you also have to have um, some kind of digital just-in-time tax return capability so for us as a company we've used sage and now zero to sort of process all of our invoices and receipts and those things, that is about £300 a year as well. So when you're starting out... And I'm going to suggest if you're starting out by yourself, you're going to want to pay someone else to do that. Yeah. Like if you're working out how to offer HR services or what kind of training courses you want to provide to your clients, you do not want to get distracted with how do I work zero as a system. Yeah, I, I would almost agree with that. I think our situation when we joined Totem is a bit different. Um, there you go. So if you're starting out, I would recommend paying it. You just got to bear the cost and it, it, it's it's a pain in the bum. It yeah. really is. Um, and when you say our situation was different, that's because you were part of the team. Mm. You know, that's been the huge blessing. Yeah. That instead of it being me, uh, an expert business psychologist, an expert in learning and development, to get me trying to do the bookkeeping and the invoicing and the zip, nightmare nightmare whereas we had you in the team so you could manage all of that and i think for most people moving into this self-employed world they haven't got that huge miracle privilege thank you very much no so you do have to pay for it and you have to pay for it one way or the other either you pay for it as as you know i got paid a salary so that was coming out of the business or you're going to pay an external to do it pros or and cons. pay in your own time and pain pay in your own time <laughs> and pain and potentially you might make a mistake um and on that, 
um, as a heads up, the, the number one relationship that you need to manage when you're first starting out and ongoing is your relationship with HMRC. Um, there are two distinct departments within HMRC. There's the general HMRC you're going to speak to. They're, they're responsible for corporation tax, benefit in kind, pay as you earn. And they are, in the main, very pleasant people um, who offer a degree of flexibility. So, you know, when we first started working for Totem, there were some issues around AVAT. The company did have a, a debt problem that we needed to restructure. And our conversations with that particular HMRC department were very fruitful. Um, the one department in HMRC you don't want to upset in any way, shape or form is the VAT department because they will just shut you down. And the conversation with, I think his name was Gavin, um, was really straightforward. It was the most pleasant, painful conversation I've ever had because I'd spent the day reorganizing our debt, you know, talking about you know, payment plans and all of these different things. And I finally thought, wow, I'm on fire here. I'm going to call the VAT people, see what I could do. And spoke to, it got straight through to someone in the VAT department. No, no hold music, no nothing. And this guy honestly sounded like he was in his back garden drinking espresso, reading the paper. And I was like, Gavin, so nice to speak to you. Just wanted to talk to you about my VAT problem. Um, wondered if we could come to some agreement on a payment plan. No, 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 Mr. Smith. You, you've charged the VAT. You've had the VAT. You owe us the VAT. If it's not paid by Friday, we'll just shut you down. Um, and that's that. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. And that, that was the summary of the conversation. And when they say shut you down, they will, sh they will shut you down. They will, you know, they'll freeze your bank account. They'll, they'll, they'll seize your assets. And they'll come after you as directors for missing VAT. So do not upset the VAT department. Now we've jumped into VAT without mentioning VAT registration. Yes. Now this is it's kind of linked um, with the threshold thing. So once you get past fifty thousand pounds a year and up to about eighty five thousand pounds a year, you definitely want to be in a limited company space because you can there then register for being VAT registered and up to £85,000, you will really want to register on the flat rate VAT scheme. So this is a scheme for small businesses who are just about figuring out how to charge VAT to their clients. And the idea is that on a, a £1,000 invoice, you add the VAT. So the client will see an invoice for £1,200. Um, they'll claim the VAT back later. That doesn't really matter to them. Um, but for you, when the client pays you, you'll have £1,200 landed in your account. That's absolutely not true. £1,000 has landed in your account. Take that £200 and stick it in a somewhere you can't even see. Do not do not touch that money. So you can give it to the VAT man. Yeah, exactly. Now, the flat rate VAT scheme is a, is a... I think the numbers have been done very well on this. So in our industry, you will be put on the 10% flat rate VAT scheme. And what that means is you can charge a client 20% VAT. They will pay you that. You only owe the VAT man 10% Ooh. or half of, of that 20% that's come to you. That's nice. That is very nice. The downside to the flat rate VAT scheme is that you can't claim VAT back. Aha. Uh -huh. So if I buy a laptop for £1,200, yeah. £1,000 plus VAT, you can't it claim costs that me back. 1, It costs you £1,200. Right. So that's the pros and cons. Now, what is interesting is, and I think this has been done purposefully, is that if you are sensible enough to put all of that VAT money into your account, 
at the end of the year when you come to do your tax return and you're given your corporation tax bill, the extra money that you've saved that you've not spent actually comes very close to clearing your corporation tax bill. Right. So it's 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 very well done and it's a very good stepping stone to becoming fully VAT registered. And then you can get into the process of, of doing receipts and all of these different things, you know, actually tracking VAT through your various different accounting systems. So it's a very good t- stepping stone to being a fully VAT registered business. And why c- can I just choose not to be VAT registered and say, well, that all sounds very complicated. I'll just not bother. No, after £85,000, you have to be VAT registered. Um, and that's that. That's that. <laughs> that's that. And don't upset the HMRC VAT department. No, absolutely not. I mean, you, 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 can, you can negotiate a single year where you can exempt yourself from being VAT registered. So you can... You can Whilst have, you're getting set up or something. Yeah, no, no. It's, a, it's, it's if you have an exceptional year, basically. So if, if you have a history of earning less than 85,000, turning over less than 85 grand a year, um, and you have one exceptional year, like a stupidly big contract lands on you or something like that, you can say to HMRC, please exempt me. This is just an exceptional year. Fine. If it ha- but if you get it again next year, you'll get stuck on the VAT scheme. Fine. Um, so, yeah. Very good. So we've got self-employed up to maybe 50 grand. Mm-hmm. Then think about limited company. Mm-hmm. Once you hit 85 grand, get VAT registered. VAT registered. Okay. At which point you will need a very good accountant to start working with you. Uh and potentially a bookkeeper, depending on where you are in terms of your team at that point and whether you've got the capability in-house to do it cool. yourself. Excellent. So there's some really clear basics there about just getting set up. Mm-hmm. What else would you say to someone thinking about starting their own business? Um, um, credibility is the next is the next thing you need to be looking at. And I think we've learned the hard way. Um, there are some shortcuts to building credibility as a either a self-employed person or a smaller business. Um, and so, you know, here they are for free. Um, and the thing I want to say about this before you launch into them is think about what gives you a sense of credibility. So when you're looking for a plumber, a builder, mm. and you find um, a, a bit on Google and there's just a person's name and a mobile phone number, yeah, you tend to think, like are you really any good are you very established and so the kind of things that would switch you off are also the kind of things that would switch your clients off absolutely and and, and that's that's very simple so a website number one i mean something with a little depth to it so about us contact us our services maybe a couple of lines under our services you know show show visitors that you have a range of different things going off um your own phone number that's prefer- not a mobile not phone a mobile number. phone number these are actually very cheap i think for about 10 quid a month something really stupid like that um you can just have a landline that diverts to a, f- a mobile phone something like that it's very very simple um i want to add a caveat on the website point because i totally agree you need to have one it's where people just go to kind of check you out mm. What I found a number of people doing when they're setting up by themselves is they use the website as like this gateway. Mm. So I can't possibly go and speak to clients or market myself until I've got a website. Mm -hmm. And then it takes them a year to get the website finished and they've put all of their life and soul into the website. It doesn't need to be that complicated. No. 
So let's not make it this huge big deal. And then they launch it and they go, oh, I'm so excited. I've got a website and nobody cares because it's just a website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really not a big deal to anybody else. And they're all going, oh, look, I've got a website. I really don't care. Uh, so yes, you need a website, but let's not make that this big, scary, huge thing. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, on the scale of one to 10, it's a five. It really is. Um, so don't spend too much time on it. There are, you know, depending on which which way you want to go in terms of, having your website um there are so many templates out there that are just out the box brilliant work great on mobiles work great on tablets um have lots of functionality that you're likely to want you you don't need to reinvent the wheel you really don't um so don't don't spend too much time on a website the other thing i would suggest is not making it too personal um both in terms of the way you brand yourself and the way you brand your company and your web, and therefore your website. So, you know, if you want to have a founding partner page or, or whatever it is, um, that's that's the really the only space I would go for the personal kind of, you know, hi, this is you know Debbie at dot com, and um, it's all about Debbie and Debbie does this. Do you know what I mean? It's it's think about the company. You're now a director of a company, so I would very rarely recommend somebody going into the you know, this is HelenFruin.com mm. kind of space because then it's all about you as a brand. It's all about you as a person. And that can be very difficult to manage later down the line when you bring in contractors and all the suppliers who are meeting your clients and they're saying, well, I want HelenFruin.com. Um, it adds, yeah, why have I got Debbie coming in when I was buying HelenFruin.com? Yeah, yeah, so it, it sort of limits. It, it, yeah. And I guess there's something, again, maybe back to your point earlier of, of what kind of turnover you're aspiring to. Mm. Also, where do you where do you see this going yeah that's and that this is the this is the caveat to that what i've just said if you are building a personal brand so daniel pink great right so he writes his own books he does his own speaking he's got his own ted talk you know his company is him and he's built a very successful brand out of his name that's if you're going specifically down that route that's when you would use your own name for example i mean we own the rights to helenfruin.com i mean literally because there is a, a suggestion within Totem that we should be building the brand of Helen. Particularly because I'm writing a book exactly. now. That, that's what's exactly. made that make sense. But in the past, it was always, well, why would you build a brand around one person when you're actually building a company? Yeah. So and we've got, a, 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 as Totem, we've got a very difficult balancing act there. But our, our, our vision, if you like, on this is very similar to the Sheryl Sandberg kind of view. So she is well known for working within Facebook. She is also well known in her own right as a, a speaker, a motivational speaker, as a lecturer and as an author. So she has got those two streams, if you like. So that is very much a, a sort of model that we're working on towards you. Um, so if but if and if that is what you have as a vision for your company, then absolutely use your own name. If that's not, and you're just looking to pick up client work, I would recommend going for a company name. Um, that again, adds a little bit more credibility to um, the way people perceive you in the market. Because you're just perceived as bigger, right? It's, you just it's perceived not the as sense bigger. that it's just you. You can talk about your business as mm. opposed to it's me, mm. um, which is helpful for if you want to work with bigger clients mm. if you want to work with joe's little paper shop down the road it's probably not a big deal but yeah. if you want to work with big clients 
to be on your own is is not perhaps so great for your credibility. No, and we'll talk about clients in in the next in the next part. I think and how we go about getting clients and things like that. But that is certainly linked to how you go about getting clients. Um, and then I think the last two points I would make on this is um, f- for us, the website and the phone in particular. They do generate income for us. It's very ad hoc, but giving people those contact points, um, I would say maybe two, three times a year, we get contact out of the blue from those, um, from the website, from the phone, that often turns into tens of thousands of pounds worth of work. Now that is based on how well the call or the initial contact is handled, granted, but being visible on the website, being visible on the internet, sorry, um, and being contactable, there are advantages. And if it's costing you money for a website, if it's costing you money for a phone line, eventually those things will pay for themselves many, many times over. So they are very um, useful things to have. I would argue that where I've seen that happen, that we've had that kind of query come through the website or, or someone finding us online, that's not just because we've had a website, it's because we've put a lot of high quality content out there. Yeah. And it's people finding that content yeah. and then finding us. And this is, I think, where, I mean, this, is, this was going to be my second point, and I think where we should stop this podcast before we go into the next one, is year two, year three of us running Totem, we realised that we had done an awful lot of um, proposals. We'd written a lot of proposals for various different organizations and within those proposals was a lot of, I wouldn't call it IP, but certainly thought leadership, best practice, you know, we, you know, we were offering people different services and, so, and, and basically explaining why, at a granular level, why it was good. And um, it sort of dawned on us one day that actually this, you know, if, if we looked at our proposals as a, as a bank of marketing instead, we actually had quite a quite a detailed library covering a number of different topics and so I was tasked with um, taking those proposals stripping out obviously client names and you know context and all of those things but creating what's called evergreen content so this is content that you can post online and it's it's just relevant all the time it never it never fades it's not date right. specific what makes a good leader it's not it what makes a great leader. exactly right yeah. so we've we've written a, you know a, a leadership development guide for somebody there's some really good stuff in there um just take that and what we found was that you you would then have a, a single article to post on your website so it becomes part of your blog um, or it becomes a resource that's available to download from your website that's great if you tailor it a little bit it also becomes a linkedin post it becomes some sales and marketing for you to send directly to any client who's interested in it. It could also go in your newsletter that you send out to your clients on a monthly or quarterly basis. You could then chop it up into little bits and then sprinkle it out as tweets or Instagram posts. So from this one single proposal that we've written for one client, I now have the ability to touch base with six or seven different marketing streams in quite an effective, coherent way. And that was probably the biggest shortcut we found to building credibility in terms of marketing. And people will often call or contact us through the website and say, saw this article online, saw this article on LinkedIn, 
I'm like, dude, we wrote that <laughs> seven years ago. That's, you know, that's really the value of trying to just take any work that you're doing and just recycle it and reuse it um, as best you can. And that, that time that you save will, will transition you from being an overworked, self-employed person who's panicking about everything to someone who's basically just laughing and earning about 50% more and doing 50% less work. That, that is really the gold to be found in that in that situation i don't feel like i'm there i still feel like i'm the crazy consultant running around panicking but well that's that, that's your job so my, you know, it's, and, that, that, and that's where it's been very helpful you know to have more than one person in the team is that you're the calming I, well i'm not just the calming one i i have a very logical workflow you know it like I look at your diary and it makes no sense to me. I, I would I would literally just run outside and throw myself in front of a bus if my diary looked like yours. Whereas my diary is kind of progressive and step-based and I'm like, okay, so now I've got this article. It goes on the website, goes on Instagram, goes over here, goes to LinkedIn. And it's, you know, it's, that's what you need when you're building a, a sort of the credibility piece that you need a step-based approach. Great. Which leads in beautifully to part two of our three-part summer series. Three-part. Part two, we're going to be talking about how we've gone about getting clients and how you can use marketing and sales uh, to find clients. And and I'm particularly saying that, right, as a non-sales person. If you've got yeah. a background in sales, you don't need to hear this from us. But if you've got a background in HR, L&D, talent, <laughs> you are not yeah. a salesperson like me. Yeah. Uh, You're and probably so panicking right you, now. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do sales. I don't want to sell myself. All of that stuff that we tell ourselves. Um, I'll share with you how we've gone about getting clients because we have an incredible client list. Dyson, Disney, Discovery, as I always say, other people who don't begin with a D. Um, <laughs> KFC. Who's your favourite client? Are we allowed to mention that? <gasps> no. <laughs> it's KFC. It's blatantly KFC. I was going to say KFC too. Yeah. I love KFC. They're just great. And they sell chicken. Yeah, that's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get a discount on that chicken. Though, so that I sucks. know, that is disappointing. Yeah, really. If anybody from KFC is listening, yeah. we love working with you. We would like a discount on our chicken. Just, I, just a, I don't, I'm not even asking for free chicken. I'll pay <laughs> just for a it. Discount. Just, you know, just a little <laughs> staff discount or something. Um, part three of our summer series then is talking about what it takes to be a good consultant. So you have undoubtedly having worked in hr l&d talent you have been a consultant in-house mm -hmm. how do we take those skills as an external consultant what does it take to serve your clients effectively that's what we'll talk about in part three so stick with us for our three-part summer series and enjoy the rest of your day goodbye everyone thank you